welcome to High Action. I'm Perry Smith. I'm Will Brom. I'm John Story, and together we're the New West Guitar Group. On today's episode of High Action, we're featuring Jank Erdogan. A special thanks to our Patreon members and our sponsors who make this podcast possible. For more information on High Action and how you can get involved, please visit www.newwestguitar.com slash highaction. All right, everybody. Episode 31 of the High Action Podcast. We got to interview a wonderful guitarist located in Istanbul, Mr. Cenk Erdogan, who had so much great knowledge and such a refreshing story to tell. And um, it's a really exciting interview, but before we talk about that, I want to talk to John and Perry about something that's really important to all of us, and that is guitar EQ. So I don't know. Uh, let me start with let's start with John. John, what are your initial thoughts, and and how has your perception of EQ changed the last year being at home with your guitar? Oh. Man, yeah, you know, going through a completely digital medium like the computer, you really hear like there's so many parameters, there's so much stuff. And I'm pretty old school. I don't like visually cueing stuff. I like listening with my ears. I like twisting knobs like on a Fender style amp, treble mid bass. Um, you know, sometimes it drives me nuts that certain amps don't have a middle control because mid oh, is man. such an important part of of my sound. And if you get a really good Fender, Princeton, or Deluxe, you can kind of dial it between the treble and the bass and get the sweet spot. But um, yeah, I mean, it's been an opportunity for me to, to explore more of this digital realm, the more of the visual EQ um, with that Strymon Iridium, some of the IR cab m- mods on their uh, modes um, have been really cool to hear. And for me, EQ has a lot to do also with like in terms of what frequencies are coming across on a recording. It has a lot to do with the ensemble and if it's like a solo guitar recording versus a group recording. And, um, you know, gone are the days of like <laughs> just being able to plug into your amp, put a 57 on it and just record that way. I mean, I think recording, digital recording has gotten so detailed and the kinds of guitar parts people want. Um, yeah, so I, I've just been trying to explore more of the of the digital medium beyond treble, middle, and mm-hmm. and bass. And I can't wait to get back to playing more live because I I do love the um, old school traditional Fender style just three band EQ um, approach to a guitar. Um, to me, that's just that just goes so far back for us guitarists to kind of dial it in that way. You know, right. Perry, how about yourself? Jank was talking about. In the episode, the, the old smiley face curve, right? You know, that's sort of like a classic EQ band that a lot of people will do, whether it's a guitar tone or just an overall track. And yeah, I've been a- able to kind of experiment with more visual EQ stuff within Logic, which is a program I use this last year, doing a lot of home recording, trying to make sure that on my arch top it's not too boomy in the low end, you know, mm-hmm. but I got enough like meat and and fatness in the middle but it's not too fat in the middle because then it gets kind of nasally you know and you want to have some good high end Uh, but even before you get your sound into something like logic i think a lot of eq starts with like what you're doing with your hands and um you know for me it's like where am i picking on the instrument Mm -hmm. you know Uh, and i think it's good to pick all over and like the touch you're putting into the string that's a big deal when it comes to your eq and you know the ratio of your setup, your action, uh, and the pick you use. The pick you use. All these things are going to go into, you know, your uh, ultimate sound, right? Which is what you're trying to EQ in something like Logic. So I just, uh, I think before you complicate things on the end of Logic, or maybe you can do this at the same time, but just always make sure that the, you're concentrating on the sound that you're getting from your instrument, whether you're playing an acoustic or an electric mm-hmm. guitar. Yeah. And, you know, shout out to Henriksen amplifiers for giving that five band EQ, which is really useful. Yes, the yes. early years of me using them, I didn't know what I was doing with EQ. I'm, I'm ashamed to admit, but I will admit it. I'm a recovering um, non-EQer. <laughs> 
<laughs> well, man, amplifiers. I mean, amps are so different now. And yeah. in the 50s and 60s, you know, Leo Fender was a genius. He actually understood that the pine cabinet on a Fender amp had a frequency response. And that the Fender Bassman and then the Fender guitar amps, they were built a little differently. So they're all kind of dialed in to a certain EQ. And fortunately, what you know, there was not that many different kinds of electric guitar tones in the 50s. A lot of jazz guitar, a lot of Chuck Berry kind of stuff. Um, and so it sounds pretty good to plug a beautiful hollow body right into an old Fender amp. It sounds pretty great right away. Right. But us guitarists today have so many more demands, so many different kinds of parts. We have to play just beyond that. You know? Yeah. So John, do, you, do you remember what your move was with amps uh, when we were in college? You would, you would just say, oh, yeah, I just put everything to four. <laughs> and you know what? That actually works. Most it does of the work. Time. That works yeah. really well. Well, one of the one of the reasons too, okay, is that a Fender amplifier, Fender style amp, the that doesn't have a middle control mm -hmm. has a middle setting at what is about six. If there was a mid knob on the amp, okay. so if you put your treble and your bass under that, like at about four, you get the power tubes up enough so that the tubes are cooking. Because if if you're at one or two, the tubes are are not getting warmed up enough, right. and if they're at seven or eight, they'll distort and you'll get distortion. So four or five is the sweet spot. And just under the mid means that the mid range is going to punch a little bit more. And that was always my secret with a Princeton or a, or a deluxe and the polytone responded well to that too. Yeah. Even though the polytone was totally weird and that it would just doesn't distort. If you'd go all the way to 10 and it's just ice picked to the forehead, crystal clear treble. <laughs> so, so on a deluxe reverb, you would set your bass and treble to four. Yeah. Because the fender, the, that deluxe reverb or the Princeton, if it had a middle knob, right. would be permanently set at six. Gotcha. And some of the new boutique Fender amps out there, like Vintage Sound or, or Headstrong, they make them with a middle knob right. so that you can control that area, which I someday I'd love to get an amp like I don't have an amp like that. It'd be mm -hmm. cool to have one because then you can control it. But as a jazz guy, I mean, I love having that nice warm mid range. It helps punch it. through a rhythm section wow. and make it sound nice and fat without feedback, you know. Well, I could go on all day about EQ, but um, yeah, you know what all what what all brought this into my mind was talking to Jank about EQing his fretless classical guitar, and on top of dialing his EQ for his fretless playing, he also has to think about intonation, and especially on a nylon string guitar, each string sometimes that like the G string will just jump out, so you got to EQ that down, and then you're also dealing with pitch bending. This is a fascinating interview. Jank is such a cool guy. He's got so much wonderful insight. His playing is really beautiful. Uh, yeah. So before we start this podcast interview, we want to remind you to hit subscribe on all those fun platforms like Apple Podcasts, Spotify Podcasts, Instagram, uh, and to our patrons who are supporting us on Patreon, we want to thank you. Lots more fun content coming on there as well. So without further ado, here is episode 31 with Jank Erdogan. Man, first off, thank you for being here. You know, you're you're located in Istanbul, which is one of my favorite cities in the world. I've been there twice. I've toured Turkey twice. And that's how we met at least online through Sitka. Yeah, 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 yeah. And um I just messaged Sitka yesterday and he said, "Oh, I was just at Jank's studio." Yeah, yeah. We spent all day uh, together yesterday in the studio. We had a chat and, you know, we had a very nice time yesterday. <laughs> yeah, um, want to give a shout out to Sitka Sertandalu, who's basically the jazz ambassador for Istanbul across <laughs> across the world. Definitely right. And also now he's running this club called, uh, you know, Badu. Yeah. Uh, and Badu is a very high quality jazz club, which has a, which has got very nice light and also very nice sound. So, which is very important for us to have this sound. Uh, he puts his, all his stuff there. He had the great guitar amps and it's a very nice drums kit. So everybody is very satisfied when they play there. You know, I played there 
last fall, and it was amazing. And I played at the old bottle also, the smaller one. Old bottles. Okay, okay. The smaller one is very cozy. You know, I, yeah. you know, they want me to play there, and I said, "No, I'm sorry, but I can't break the windows here because <laughs> yeah, you know my band is a little bit yeah punchy. Yeah, punchy. So I can't break the windows. So let's not do this here." <laughs> um, talk a little about your experience with the jazz clubs, because the jazz clubs that I'm thinking of are Nardis, Bova, and Bottle. Yeah, those are three huge ones in Istanbul, yeah. and I'm sure you've played yeah. there a lot. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. I play regularly. So Nardis is the oldest one. Uh, when when I was a teenager, you know, in the conservatory, I go there to listen to my teachers and all the great uh, musicians who came from Europe and America. Uh, Nardis and the owners are also very, it feels like, you know, mother and father to us, you know, or great brothers and sisters. So that's why Nardis is got a has got his own sound you know if if you don't get used to that sound it's a little bit weird at the beginning but when you get used to play there uh it sounds really nice very uh, very nice acoustic and is a huge ceiling place and uh, the the bado is um actually i didn't play at the small bado the little one but this one is, is inside a shopping mall mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, when we say it's shopping mall, it's like a little bit, you know, cheesy. But uh, it's outside part, out, uh, you know, wall of uh, the shopping mall. Mm-hmm. But it's a beautiful club. And also you can eat really high uh, quality food there. And uh, the Bova uh, actually uh, is a special place because before Bova, we have a very special place called Mitani. And Mitani is a kind of uh, club that you can say to, to the owner, okay, tonight I'm going to break my guitar and you are going to record this break and we are going to produce a sound from this uh, break noise and we are going to impro- improvise around that. And he said, okay, let's do it, you know. So he's a that type of guy. Yeah. And all this uh, crew from this bar... Uh, after this bar was closed, all this crew came together and opened Bova. So Bova is a kind of uh, nice shadow of Mitanni. So, uh, for example, the barman is the same. You know, all these waiters are the same, you know. Do you use that polytone that's at Nardis? There's a polytone at Nardis. Yeah. No, no, no. Polytone (laughs) is not for me, man. (laughs) I've used it and it's so funny. You, you like it? You like? The I polytone? like it. I mean, I I remember the first time I played there, I was like, "There's a polytone, like wherever you go in the world, the sound of the San Fernando Valley is there." <laughs> it's just, it's so great. It it made me yeah, chuckle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I go for the Roland Jazz Chorus. You know, Roland Jazz Chorus. It's a little bit fatter. Uh, I don't use the chorus part. But right. also, uh, again, you know, the, the the speaker itself is a good good speaker and it works fine. So I prefer to play uh, with the amp. But I have s- several different uh, setups. That's why the amp is only to feed the uh, inner uh, stage. You know, mm-hmm. uh, I don't I don't put microphones on the amp for the output. So I put some other stuff. You know, I use some other other pedals mm-hmm. to go to the PA. Can you tell us a little bit about growing up in Istanbul and getting your connection to guitar, particularly fretless guitar? Yeah. So, uh, especially Turkey and especially Istanbul is a is a kind of uh, same with New York City. Uh, I mean, multicultural. You can find any type of cuisine. Uh, any type of person. Of course, when I grow up, uh, we don't have too much different restaurants and tastes in Istanbul because Turkey has a, a really uh, big uh, tradition of uh, the, the food and uh, the the culture. So, but when everything is changed, when time passes, you know, so Istanbul becomes a place that you can find anything else. 24 hours, which is very incredible. You know, at three o'clock in the morning, you can find a, a you know, food place mm-hmm. and you can find any fresh food, you know, there. And also, of course, um, growing up in Turkey, uh, it means that 
you know, Istanbul is divided by the Bosphorus. Bosphorus is a sea. It's not a river. So uh, the one part is belong to Asia, mm-hmm. Asia continent. You know, the 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 Istanbul half of the Istanbul is belong to Asia continent, continent, and the other part is belong to Europe continent. So uh, now I'm living in the Asian Anatolian part, and when I take a ship, it takes like 13 minutes. Then I can switch to the European side of the world. You know, yeah. I'm in the European land. So this is this is incredible. For a for a musician, yeah. because then you can find uh, all these uh, amazing vibes from comes from Greece, Bulgaria, or Europe, and also you have the vibes from comes from China, mm-hmm. you know, like from the Asia, Iranian, Iraq, or all these uh, Russian, you know, borders, you know, because we have a border also to Russia, mm-hmm. and we have a huge. Um, culture comes from the russia so that's why uh, when you grow up and if you're a musician if you want to be a musician if you look directly uh, uh, and to realize what's happening in around you and you see different cultures and different music so that's why uh, i believe that i'm so lucky to uh, born here in istanbul and uh, see all this hear all these cultures from Sufi culture to Anatolian culture to European culture. And my connection with Fred Guitar is by an accident, actually. So I was in Antalya uh, with my father's place uh, during the summertime. And I was into listening to guitar music. And and a friend of mine was going to Istanbul. And these days, I mean, 1994, I guess, these days, uh, there is only one record store in Antalya. So it's very uh, unfortunate to find uh, new albums. And I asked him to bring me some guitar albums from Istanbul because I'm going to spend all the summer with my father's house, in my father's house. So I need something to listen. And then my friend uh, goes to a record store in Istanbul and he said that we want, uh, a friend of mine wants three or four different guitar albums and then the guy gave me the cassettes Mm -hmm. and there are like flamenco cassettes and some other classical cassettes and also there is one guy which is called Arkanur and it's the you know founder of uh, fretless guitar Mm -hmm. and when I take the cassette into my hand and say that okay what type of uh, you know cover art is this because there are no frets on the guitar so because it's a very weak pressed you know cover there are shit, there are no frets, you know. <laughs> and then uh, I start to listen to music. And I, by the way, I start to read the inlay card. Mm. And I said that, uh, I hear that, Arkanor says that fretless guitar is an instrument which I give as a present to all human beings. And I was, I was really shocked that moment, you know. I said that, okay, this is something else, you know. So uh, I start to dig in the album every day like maybe 10 times 11 times i'm listening all day and and actually it's uh, in uh, the feeling of the album is very down you know mm-hmm. it ta- it pushes you down it is it has it is so heavy so uh, during that time i had one classical guitar and i pick up the uh, tools and uh, take the frets out because i think that i want to explore this <laughs> of course it's a very bad decision <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's it's a very bad decision because uh, I can't I can't make it right and uh-huh. I don't have a good sound. But anyway, you know, uh, so I have only one guitar and I, I take the frets out in 1996 between 1997, and uh, then I realized that uh, if I want to play this instrument, I need to learn my own music uh, from the beginning. So. Because we have prayers five times a day, mm-hmm. and these prayers uh, has got his own scales, which is different than each other. So I realized that you know uh, I can hear those microtones because you become like sixteen or seventeen years old, and ho- all your life you know you heard those scales five times a day. Of course, you didn't recognize. It's like a train sound, you know, when you live by the train. Mm-hmm. In the first few days, you hear the train noise, and then, like one month later, you don't recognize the noise. Right. So it's it's 
it's just just like this for me. And I say that okay, so there is something uh, spiritual uh, spiritual in this instrument, and then I start to uh, really transcribe and try to understand uh, the Anatolian scales and the Ottoman scales and all these things. So this is how I start uh, fretless. That's beautiful. And correct me if I'm wrong, but I I heard you say there are something like 2,500 different microtone scales. I don't remember the exact number. There's a lot. Definitely. More than. Yeah, yeah, yeah. More than. But but let me explain this very easily. It's not like, you know, Dorian Phrygian or, you know, like Mixolydian or like Holton. It is, uh, you know, we have this tetrachords and quadrachords scales. I mean, like five notes together and when you put these four notes here it becomes a scale and if when you switch them it becomes another scale so uh, the funny funny story is, is yeah the funny story is this uh, the ottoman empire uh, asked their ask his musicians to come to the you know to his place and say that okay if you find a scale i will give you one box of gold Right. And then all these composers go away and start to produce a, a lots of scales to get some gold. So because of that, we have like more than 250 scales. Uh, nowadays, uh, of course, we are not using all of them, but you have to you have to learn at least 100 of them, you know, right. to uh, to improvise correctly. Because improvisation in Turkish music style is different than improvisation in uh, jazz. Of course. Uh, Turkish improvisation has got a root and has got a way. For example, if you are playing the Hijaz scale, which is like A, B flat, C sharp, D, E, F, G, A. Mm-hmm. So if you want to pass from this exam, you know, to play the Hijaz scale, you have to visit some roots. You have to visit some roads. and But when you visit the road, for example, you came from the tonic and then you step on the fifth note and then you have to make, you can, you have some different uh, choices to go. Mm -hmm. If you pick one of them and you go this direction and you have to finish any kind of, you know, movement in the scale Mm -hmm. and then you go to this direction and then you come back, you know. So it's like, uh, it's an improvisation, but uh, the improvisation, which you know the road a little bit, you know. Mm-hmm. It's not like jazz, you know. Sure, sure. Can you talk about your connection with composing and some of your big influences and how that informed your composing? Because I know you compose a lot of music. Yeah. The moment that I'm playing guitar, uh, I start to practice classical stuff, of course, like Bach mm-hmm. and all these amazing, uh, great guitar tracks guitar music but i understand uh, i can't i can't make it you know because uh, when i heard this little uh, tiny phrases i want to take this phrase and put it in another uh, position and then i want to double the melody whatever you know so i understand that i try to uh, make uh, put put myself into that music so i decide that classical music is not for me because in classical, you have to be strict to the score. So then <clears throat> I try to compose my own pieces. You know, I put my fingers like this and then move the fingers in s- with some shapes. Uh, and I said, okay, this shape is, you know, sounding nice. And then I made this arpeggio and then I find another shape. And then I found some little melodies and I start to compose naturally, you know. And then uh, I go to the music school in the university. Mm-hmm. And uh, I played my own compositions on the, in the exam, in the uh, in audition. Mm-hmm. And they said, which department do you want to join? I said, I want to join, if you have a you know, composing department, I want to join this. Mm-hmm. And they said, okay, you can, have, you can have this. And I got the full scholarship because of I want to be a composer. And then like four years, I take uh, just composing uh, you know, education. And then I also find a classical composer teacher and I pay him uh, to teach me how I can learn classical composition. I mean, the string writing, the woodwinds, uh, the brasses, I mean, the classical brasses, not, uh, you know, trumpets and trombones in jazzy style. 
So, uh, and also I was practicing how to compose around guitar, but I was practicing by myself, you know. And then uh, at the end of the sport, four year of uh, education, uh, they give me the, you know, diploma of uh, writing. You are, you know, graduated from composition department. So, and I said, now I become a composer. And uh, in my first composing uh, gig, I understand that I know shit about composing. (laughs) (laughs) Now you composed for a movie in 2008, 2009, correct? And it won best score of the year in Turkey, right? Yeah, definitely. I I was composing uh, for TV series Mm -hmm. because TV series are really important in Turkey. And also uh, when when a TV series uh, is famous in Turkey, all these Arabic countries like Dubai and all these uh, Bahrain, all these countries, they buy the, those movies. Mm-hmm. So that's why uh, there is a huge industry of TV series in Turkey. So I start to compose TV series and I compose 37 or 40 TV series uh, through this uh, whole year, yeah, like 14 years or 15 years of work. But uh, also I compose uh, 10 uh, big films. And one of them, uh, one of them uh, is a really game changer in the Turkish uh, cinema in- industry. Uh, because uh, the director is a very fan of LPs. And he knows what is the difference between analog and digital. Mm. So... He, he takes this idea and spread this idea into a, a guy's life, you know. So imagine a guy, he lives analog, okay? He's not, he's not digital. He's not using phones, whatever. And then his connection, communication with women is also analog. So uh, that's why uh, people are really get interested about this movie and uh, he wants me to compose the music. And I composed the music. And uh, this uh, movie uh, sold like 7 million tickets in Turkey. Mm. And uh, also I got the best uh, movie score award. And also after this movie, uh, LPs and LP players return back to Turkey. This is you change the whole culture. This of is so crazy. <laughs> yeah, man. It's not me. It's not me. The movie changed the whole culture of Turkey, and then of course I've become the one of the part of it. And then uh, after this movie with this director, I made like six movies, and some of the movies are recorded live with fifty-piece orchestra, and some movies uh, recorded really with only analog keyboards, analog synths. And I found those analog guys, you know, we bring those keyboards into my studio and we work on the sounds and the pads and the synthesizers, like 10 hours for one pad. But it is, it's a huge, uh, you know, difference in the solution, you know, in the, when they, when you hear the music, it was like, okay, this is, this is, this is this pad, you know? So this is how I, uh, how I start composing for films. And I still do actually. Amazing. That's so impressive, man. That's it's beautiful, and I enjoy I enjoy your compositions. I'm curious if you can talk about some of the influential teachers that you had, especially studying fretless guitar and having mentors to kind of like guide the way. Uh, well, there is uh, only one guy uh, in the world, and and he's still alive, and he's still producing, and he's still kicking the ass. You know, <laughs> he's playing amazing. And his name is Alcanor, and he's an inventor. He he didn't only invent fretless guitar, and he, he uh, takes some traditional instruments under the ground and then make them breathe, mm. and he puts his own mentality and own tunings, and then he produces some music around those traditional instruments. So, um, actually, uh, my way uh, in my career was so hard because... Imagine that we are four guitar players here, and imagine that there is only one guitar player. Let's let's think about Pat Metini, okay? Mm-hmm. So imagine that there is only Pat Metini, and so how can you find your way, you know? Because there is only one guy. So in fretless, there is only one guy. So I understand that uh, we have to dig his style and we have to practice his style, 
And finally, I meet with him after uh, playing for like four or five years later. And uh, he make an exam to me, really. He, he, he made an exam to me. You know, it's like uh, he asked me many, many questions. Oh, play this, play that, you know, play this interval on fretless guitar. And I made this. And after that, he said that, okay, you should work a lot. You know, I'm sure you can find your own way. You know, it's between uh, you are not good or you are good. You know, it's it's a word in the middle. So you were confused. So uh, I, I, I start, yeah, yeah. And I start to listen uh, my inner voice that, you know, which musics I like to play, which musics I like to hear, you know. And then uh, I come up with this idea, composing, because I'm a composer and composing solo pieces for fretless guitar which he didn't do you know his style is different than this you know and i start to you know work like six years to produce one really nice sounding composition and of course the intonation is is very hard process to uh, solve you know it's a big problem in fretless guitar and then uh, I start to, of course, I was I was a huge flamenco fan also, and and then I come up with this idea. I had this flamenco technique in my class guitar. Why did I? Why didn't I use this technique on fretless guitar? And I tried it, and it doesn't sound well because the action in the fretless guitar is very low. Mm-hmm. So I go to my luthier and I said that I want to play this guitar with this technique. I show him the technique, and so what can you do to me? And he said, we can take the strings higher. And we did it. And of course, we changed a little bit of the angle of the neck, actually. Uh, so my guitars are really different than Arcanor's guitars now. And then after many, many years, so we divided into two. Uh, so now in Turkey, there are many players uh, who wants to play like Arcanor and also there are some players, you know, who wants to compose and play like me with using all these guitar techniques in one guitar. Mm-hmm. So, uh, especially these days, uh, I got like four years, starting from four years before, I got lots of questions about open tunings, how I can, how they can play this Alzapua technique on fretless guitar, whatever. So I had to go to Spain spent like 25 days with the Spanish guitar players and learn all these techniques directly from them and deeply, you know, and they, they tell me some words which uh, change all my uh, perspective to playing guitar. Mm-hmm. So that's why uh, he, he, he is the biggest mentor uh, and biggest influence in Turkey about Fred guitar and in the world also. So we are very good friends now, and uh, I'm very happy to share this century with this guy. Today's episode of High Action is sponsored by Henriksen Amplifiers. These guys are great. They're based out in Colorado in the Denver area, and they really build the guitar amplifier designed to meet the needs of the jazz guitar player. We're talking about people that want extremely high-quality sound in a portable package. Yeah, their amps are not that heavy, so you can carry them around at the gigs, or your friend's house, wherever you're going. The keys to their success have been manufacturing in their own facilities, keeping their quality control as high as possible, using all analog designs to preserve tonal integrity, 100% commitment to the absolute best customer service in the industry. Believe me, we know these guys, they're great. So check out Henriksen Amps if you want to get a good tone out of your guitars. Jake, it's just awesome to have you on the podcast. It's not every day I get to talk to somebody in Turkey. So (laughs) it's great to see you, man. It's great to see you. So yeah, you know, the question I had for you to kind of dive into this instrument, you know, fretless guitar, it it must be that without the frets there, you get that great contact with the fingerboard. And I always want that, uh, you know, as somebody who plays a fretted instrument, I sometimes feel like my left hand is more in contact with the frets 
than it is that actual ebony or the rosewood or the maple that's underneath it. So I'm curious, do you, do you, for one, do you enjoy that? And for two, do you feel like you have to dig in harder in the right hand to compensate for the fact that the left hand isn't, isn't working against those frets? It's a very good question. You know, this is totally what you think. Uh, man, touching this wood is, is an amazing feeling, you know, because, uh, we have a communication with our instrument and guitar guitar is a very uh, personal instrument it's not like piano it's not like keyboards you know because keyboards are some digital machines and also pianos if imagine that if you're a jazz piano player when you go to this club there's a piano you know right. so or lots of the double basses uh, they can't carry their instruments because it is huge and so they have to play what they have in the club or in the venue so but guitar players are not we are not like this we have a huge communication with the instrument you know we hold them personally right. we put the guitar on our chest and uh, we had the the feeling of the heartbeat on the guitar directly and when you press this low e string your your nipples and your chest <laughs> you know, your chest is vibrating so this is so this is so crazy to he feel this energy. Right. So, but when you when you when you have the uh, the neck without frets, and that time you f your fingertips, you know, just feel the the wood sound of wood. Right. Uh, and you you are totally right. It is not easy to get the sound out because the frets push the sound really uh, on the front. You know? Right. So, but the the ebony or you know the rosewood, sometimes you know they they eat the sound, they they lick the sound. Yes, right. So that's why it's 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 really crazy feeling to touch the uh, the fingerboard without right. the fret. Yes, and then you can play and you can slide on it, you know, and you can right. have a very nice but very unbalanced uh, sound also. Yeah, it's true. And there's, there's a book called The History of the Guitar that Turnbull wrote that um, actually funny, when I was at USC, we took a classical guitar history class. We talked about the oud and the fiorbo, a lot of the early string instruments that go back thousands of years. The oud was a non-fretted instrument. And one of the reasons that Torres, the Spanish designer of the guitar, put frets into the instrument was because the guitars back then had such a hard time staying in tune and the strings were made of yeah. cat gut and other materials that just kind of yeah, fell yeah, yeah. Yeah. So the frets had such a big part of it. It's interesting how our instrument, even though the guitars got better and the construction and the materials got stronger, frets remained. And it's something I, I really admire about cellists and bass players that just getting to feel the fingerboard underneath their hand is must be so nice. And, you know, our connection, of course, Stephen Marchione, I mean, we've got, I, I have one of his arch tops. Um, he built me a 16. <laughs> I know. Yeah, yeah, and you know, just to chat a little bit about Steven, because you know it's a great <laughs> opportunity to talk about that guy, man. When did you first meet him, and you know, uh, discuss with him your need for this kind of an instrument? Because a semi-hollow fretless guitar is is pretty um, one of a kind, you know. Yeah, definitely. So I have a very you know strange uh, story with him. Uh, I was in the uh, Nashville Nam show. Uh, like two, two, two and a half years ago, and uh, I was I was playing in the Tom Woodamp uh, booth. So uh, I was a Tom Woodamp artist at the same time, and uh, then I was playing with my fretless guitar and tried to explain the Tom Woodamp. And uh, Steven came to the booth and said that you are going to come to me like this, you know, you uh -huh. come to my place. And I was like, I saw this Marchione, this the, the t-shirts. The um, you know favorite shorts <laughs> of him, yeah. and I was like, man, did I see correctly? Because guys, believe me, I was dreaming to play his guitars yes. in my sleeps. I saw myself playing, uh, you know, Marquiones with fretless guitar or fretted whatever, you know, because I know Will is using, Mike Moreno is using, uh, Mark Winfield is using, and all these amazing artists, you know, and. I I saw some of the documentaries about the guitar with Mike Moreno did you know and when he plays a chord it sounds like man shit yeah. this is this is 
something different, you know, from all, the, all this mentality. And I was dreaming, what if, you know, if it is fretless? And then I go to his booth and he said to me that, man, why don't you follow me on Facebook? Because I was following you for a, like for five years and you're not following back. And I was listening to your music while I was making guitars. And I said, why, how can I, how can I not follow you? And then I realized that he has an, some uh, previous names, there, Stefan Rafael Marconi. So yeah. I didn't rea realize that his name is like, because I was expecting this brand name, you know? Yes. Yeah. So, uh, and we had a coffee together and he said that, yeah, you have to play my instruments. Mm -hmm. You know, I said, I'd love to, you know, and I, I, I really dream about playing your instruments. Yeah. And then uh, we had, we had an amazing agreement and he, he is a crazy nice guy. You know, I yeah. love him a lot. Yeah. And then he said that I'm going to build a guitar and uh, send it to you. And I was in the, uh, like six months later, I was in the tour uh, with international guitar night And he sent the guitar to Turkey, and I wait like two two months to touch my guitar. You know, I was curious, and I was calling my wife that, you know, why don't you show me the guitar again? You know, and she she put it <laughs> out of the she take it out of the case and said, okay, this is your guitar. Okay, you can put it, but please put it safely. Okay, you know, <laughs> I wait yeah. like two two more months, and uh, man, to be honest, the day I hold the guitar and plug it into amp without anything, any pedals. I press one note and look at the mirror like this and shit, you know, I lost many, many years, you know, without yeah. this guitar. So the, the first feeling is really totally uh, in my heart is this, you know, I lost many guitars. I, sorry, I lost many years and I'm so uh, feeling so bad about my years past without this guitar. Yeah. And then uh, the first uh, tour, uh, I get a problem and the airplane company uh, break my guitar. So I had to play like 11 concerts with, with taping my guitar. And then they need, uh, they need a special uh, luthier report to, take, to get some money uh, from the airport uh, company. And of course, I call him and he uh, writes a very official letter to them. And uh, he said that he can build me another classical fretless guitar. But this time I was really, really curious about it because classical is something different yeah. because with the angles you can, you know, do many things with electric guitar, but classical is something tricky. Right. And I uh, take all the inches of my guitar, like every three fret, uh, and I count the inches and send it to him. And he made the, the best guitar that I got in my life, you know, in fretless acoustic. Now I had two marquiones and my life is totally changed, you know. Yeah, well, and you know, he's he's one of these luthiers who's willing to try a lot of stuff and that's pretty rare because most guys just stay in their lane and he builds violins and, and he understands fretted and non-fretted instruments. Ironically, I think one of the greatest things he does is his fret work. <laughs> so it would be funny to play your guitar because there's no frets on there. But, you know, <laughs> yeah, when, yeah. When you play when you play his fretted instruments, it's his frets are impeccable, and I agree. The first time I picked up my archtop, I was like, "Man, I wish I would have had this guitar 20 years ago." You know, but it's definitely it's cool to, I had the same feeling. Yeah, it's so cool to get to talk with you about this, and I know Will, we've got some music of yours that we want to share with our listeners. So I'm going to pass this back over to Will. I want to play a beautiful song of yours. That the moment I heard it, I was like, "Oh, I want to feature this song," um, and I think it really showcases a really unique aspect of your playing, which is the traditional Turkish folk sound, the sound that it makes me think of an oud. It has the fretless sound mixed with your flamenco influence and vocabulary. So this is Biruku Yanik. Yes, Biruji Yanik. Uh, yeah, Biruji Yanik means one side is burned.
Yeah. Wow, Jenk, it's uh, Perry Smith over here. Um, that sounds. Oh, thank awesome. you. Yeah, what a great track. Thank you, man. Yeah, I was able to check yeah, out some you. of your music before the interview as well. You have a great tone on the guitar, and just the way you speak about music, it seems like it's coming from such an honest uh, and good place. So it's been wonderful to be part of this conversation. And uh, thank you, my friend. Thank you. And I hope our listeners have have taken this in a lot too, because it's not every day we get to talk to somebody from uh, from Turkey, from Istanbul, you know. And yeah. I have some questions about the guitar, but first I want to ask you something a little different. Um, the area that I live in, Brooklyn, uh, both of my neighbors on either side are from the Middle East, and uh, it's a very diverse area of Brooklyn. There's a lot of good food down here, a lot of great Turkish food. A lot of good uh, Lebanese food, Iraqi food. And so I, I ha have to settle an important question that's been on my mind about baklava. Okay. <laughs> okay. okay. <laughs> right. So what, what should be in baklava? Walnuts, pistachios, almonds? What's the preferred nut in baklava? <laughs> Can you settle this for us once and for all? Okay, so let's uh, let's uh, tell the secret, uh, you know, answer of this question. Okay. So uh, the the baklava is uh, comes from a place called Gaziantep, and uh, which is uh, very close to the border of Iraq. So uh, I mean, like two hours, uh, one and a half hours later, you can pass to Iraq by car from yeah. Gaziantep, and uh, the baklava was uh, made many many years with pistachio uh, of uh, course uh, yeah after after all this uh, taste you know it, there is a stable taste of baklava and uh, also they try to with uh, they try to make it with walnuts also um, but there is a very big difference between the taste and between the cooking because uh, pistachio is not an easy thing to uh, open and clean. So right. you have to open the, uh, the the thing, and then you take the seed in it, and you have to take the salty parts of it, you know, because pistachio yeah. has got a salty skin, you know. Yeah. So it takes too much effort to uh, clean the skin. And then you have to uh, crash it uh, into little pieces right. and then put right. it in baklava. But, but walnut is not like this, you know. When you crack right. the walnut, you can use it like this with the skin because the skin has got a special taste, but it's not salty or uh, different than the inner taste, you know. So that's why, uh, especially in the homes, yeah, like our grandmothers and uh, uh -huh. mamas, you know, uh -huh. they they uh, cooked cooked baklava with walnuts because it's easy to bake it. Yeah, walnuts. Yeah, it's easy easy to make it. But when you go to uh, Antep, Gaziantep, uh, yeah. you can't find any baklava with walnuts. You know, I mean, very rare. So uh, that's why, uh, yeah, it's it's with pistachio, and pistachio is so important. And also in this area, pistachios are really twice bigger than the normal pistachios around Turkey. And also uh, Baghdad, Baghdad and Sham also has got the same type of pistachios uh, from the trees, you know. So that's why. Um, and also, let me tell you a trick if you like to have some baklava. Yes, you know, okay, The baklava is like this. This, this yeah. is the bottom side of it and this is the top side of it. Right. If you want to have the real taste of it, you have to uh, swirl it and you have to oh. put the bottom side up, up on the your... Yeah, you have to spin around and you, you have to press it like this, you know, See, this because is, all the flavors. Yeah, this is the real stuff our <laughs> are getting. If they listen through to the podcast to the end of each episode, they're going to get the real gems. Uh, anyway, back back to guitar. Um, a question that I had for you that I was thinking about uh, throughout this interview was about the acoustic guitar and about performing live with the acoustic guitar. It's something that we've done a lot in the New West Guitar Group when we combine acoustic and electric guitar at shows. And it's always tricky, you know, getting a good live sound with your acoustic instrument yeah. that's just designed to be in a studio space with great acoustics, uh, having to plug something in or capture it live and reinforce it through a monitor it can be so tricky. And uh, I saw in a photo of yours that you had a little mic clipped on to try to capture sound live, clipped onto like the arm of your guitar at points. And I was just kind of wondering... Yeah talk a little bit about the process and the journey you've gone through capturing a live sound from an acoustic guitar. 
All right. So uh, in the beginning, I really had really problems with piezos because piezo, uh, the material of the piezo gives only the high mid frequency frequencies and low mid frequencies. So, but we need an EQ like a smiley face right. on classical guitar because uh, actually on G string and on the B string, there are too much high uh, mid frequencies. And also, I believe that, you know, uh, the, the string sets coming from the starting from the low E and it's, it's a little bit, uh, you know, smaller A and D. And then there is a huge jump on G string. So I hate this huge jump and it gives all the intonation problems uh, to you uh, while you are playing uh, classical guitars. Mm-hmm. Because your finger, when you press a bar chord, you know, your finger... Uh, presses to the low E string with another uh, uh, punch mm-hmm. or with another uh, tension. And also when you on the D string, you have to press more and more to get a good sound. But at the same time, you have to press the G string too much and you are bending the string, uh, string and then you lost the intonation. Right. So this is the uh, so all the string companies have has to solve this uh, angle problem on this E D and G, uh, and this makes also uh, the piezo sound jumped on the uh, high mid frequencies. Uh, I tried many many different stuff, and then I come up with the craziest guy in the world. His name is Carlos Juan. And he's from uh, Spain, of course. He spent all his life in Germany to produce his own pickups. And also, uh, now he's living in Malaga. And Carlos is working uh, mostly with flamenco guitar players. And uh, when you when you saw a flamenco guitar player, it's a very punchy technique. And mm-hmm. of course, you break your nails, even if you cover your nails with some artificial things. But you break your nails. So somehow they need some amplification and this guy has got a smart idea and he made a different um, hole inside the bridge and he puts the piezo but his original piezo in a little hole like this you know imagine that this is the the bridge the mm-hmm. uh, the bone bridge so the piezo has to be like this exactly under the uh, bone but mm-hmm. he puts it like this you know in the front of the ball, which is very close to the strings. So uh, he has some special tools. He carved a little C-shaped uh, ho- uh, line mm-hmm. in the in front of the bone, and he puts the piezo inside uh, the ball inside this hole, and uh, the bone pushes the uh, piezo to the wood. Yeah. So it means that you get the real vibration of the the bridge, the wood, I mean. It's right. not the vibration of the bone. Right. So, uh, and then uh, he also uh, thinks about putting a microphone inside the guitar. And mm-hmm. we all know that uh, opening the microphone in a classical or a steel string guitar means that feedback. <laughs> it always feeds back. Because <laughs> the generally microphones are on the top uh, equalization part and it's, it looks directly to the sound hole, and this microphone looks directly to the monitor. So it means right. that there's a feedback, you know? Right. So, so, but he puts the microphone uh, at the backside of the guitar, uh, which is uh, at the same place when you plug the jack input. So when you plug the jack input at the backside, and there's a little microphone, which looks from the backside to the uh, neck. Right. So... Uh, the funny thing, he realizes that the iPhone 6 microphone during these days is yeah. recording the best, capturing the best sound from the concerts and from the live sessions. Mm-hmm. And he opens the uh, iPhone 6 and he takes the microphone of it. And he tries and he realizes that it sounds amazing. And then he orders wow. those microphones from China. Oh, wow. Yeah. And uh, he, yeah, and he produces this uh, little kit called VIP DM, and uh, which is you don't need to uh, dig very big holes on your guitar, just an uh, input jack hole uh-huh. like mm-hmm. this, and you put the piezo uh, with his uh, you know 
uh, how can I, references uh-huh. and then when you open the microphone even full you don't get any feedback because the microphone uh, the microphone looks like this way and the hole is like that so after this guy uh, by the way uh, carlos pickups then the brand is carlos pickups okay. and uh, Lots of people are like from Vicenta Amigo, Paco Delicia, Tomatito, uh, Antonio Rey, all these amazing flamenco players. Uh, they are using his pickups and we become friends and I'm, I invite him to Turkey. And oh, uh, yeah, and he came here uh, and uh, I arranged like 10 or 15 guitar players, very, very talented guys, top guys in Turkey. And we all buy from his pickups, and he put the pickups, uh, and he teach to a Turkish luthier also how to install the pickup. So uh, now I'm using his pickups, and I also use this DPA 499 uh, microphone, yeah. and I blend three sources: one mic, one piezo, and inner mic also. So inner mic takes all these uh, percussive moves. Mm-hmm. And this DPA uh, takes all the air of the acoustic guitar, and right. uh, uh, the piezo gives the punches. So, especially you know, for me, I'm very happy now on 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 stage. Wow, what a what a great system! I, I wasn't I wasn't expecting such a wonderfully in depth answer. I appreciate that because we've struggled for years trying to get a good acoustic guitar sound live, and the piezo pickups that you've talked about that we've had in the acoustic guitars are under the saddle. They're uh, yeah, they're not like you said, kind of carved out where they're uh, picking up the wood vibration. Uh, and I think yeah, it yeah. makes a lot of yeah, sense definitely because the pickups that I've had. Um, like the microphones that I've had in acoustic guitars have always been near the sound hole as opposed to back by where you'd plug in the jack. So that makes yeah. sense too. And then you're blending a third one on top of that. So you have three sources going. It is yeah. a little bit of a yeah. dance to figure out how to get an acoustic guitar <laughs> to sound good live. And sounds like you're nailing it. So uh, that's wonderful to hear. He, he made he, he, he only thinks about uh, how to amplify nylon string guitars. That's why he's, right. he's really successful. And also, there are some players like George Benson and Eric Clapton. Uh, they are using his pickups also. Oh. You know, he, he's a very well-known guy in America also. Yeah, he has got many, many, like, uh, like Aldi Meola, for example. He's using only his pickups. Mm. And he's a genius guy that you know uh, he can he can put anything inside this pickup. If you want, he can put a preamp also. If you want, you can you can uh, put another pedal before that. You know whatever you know. You just imagine that, and he will he will make it for you. Yeah, that's great. We should look into that. I mean, I'm sure some of the luthiers that have built uh, the guitars that we play would would be shocked if we were thinking about trying to carve out a little section for the piezo to uh, land up. Yeah. But, but it makes sense. I mean, and the three sources make sense. That's essentially what we've done on the uh, acoustic steel string that we use the trial got because we're blending a piezo and a mic pickup. And then we're also micing the guitar from the front. So uh, it's just, it's just tricky, you know, Uh, it always has been. And sounds like you just uh, got a, great method to it and that's inspiring to hear so i think at this point Mm -hmm. i'll I'll pass it back to will he might have some more music for us to listen to as we as we wrap it up here i do and and jank you know in addition to your amazing acoustic sound you have such a unique electric sound too with your fretless playing and with the colors that you use i'm curious actually on the song that i'm going to play are you using an ebo at all Yes, definitely. Uh, you told me the piece. Uh, so I'm using an Ebo and some uh, also some effects, you know, also uh, which is also made made customly. I mean, it's a kind of MIDI controller panel uh, to control my reverb time and uh, you know reverb reflections uh, on my pedal board. So when I play the Ebo and I press this pedal and it's I got this all these spread uh, spready sounds.
tell our listeners where they can hear you and follow you and um, and if you have any new projects coming up that you want to talk about? So, of course, they can find me on YouTube and all these musical platforms like Spotify, like Apple Music, like uh, in Turkey, is Instagram is really popular these mm-hmm. days. Actually, I have a very, very... Uh, exciting project coming out uh, i was it's it's a kind of dream for me you know uh, i was dreaming of composing a kind of modern concerto for fretless guitar and uh, then i start composing uh, last june uh, in america uh, while i was in tour with international guitar night for the second time uh, i was in fairbanks which is like minus 46 degrees and uh, in Alaska, and I start to compose the first uh, melodies uh, of the concerto. Uh, it is written for, uh, you know, like string orchestra, woodwinds and brasses, and arp, uh, and a drums, and a timpani, and a fretless guitar, classical fretless guitar in the front. So uh, during these two and a half months, I work every day, like five hours during the roads and before the sound checks, whatever, which is very concentrated on this thing. And when I come back to Turkey last, um, you know, March, uh, I spent like two and a half months more and I finished in five months, uh, which is like 42 minutes of uh, orchestral uh, music for fretless guitar. Wow. So... uh, if 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 it if it is possible bec- uh, because of this corona uh, thing, uh, we are I'm going to have a concert in June uh, with uh, Istanbul Symphonic Orchestra, and we are going to record this uh, concert. And uh, if everything works works well, uh, I want to release as an album, you know, which which is my new thing, and it's a very big dream for me uh, to compose this uh, music because. Man, 42 minutes of music, it is so hard to write for like 50-piece orchestra. You know, you have to write all these dynamics, all these techniques. You can't forget any note, you know. You have to, if if you use one violin at that moment, and if you want uh, the two violins, and you have to write them down, it's so much uh, deconcentration process for your mind. Mm-hmm. But I finally finished it, you know, and um, I'm waiting for uh, to record this. And then I have a dream of playing uh, my concerto for fretless uh, all over the world. You know, I don't know how I can make it and I don't know if, if it will be successful or not. But at least I made it, you know, <laughs> it's it's my challenge for That's myself. That's so wonderful, you know, and I think that's a great message to to for us and for our listeners is you know always challenge yourself to to orchestrate outside of your own guitar realm and incorporate other instruments whether it's an orchestra or a rhythm section or anything but man that's so cool one last thing you teach on a program i don't know if this is your program it's fretlessguitarlessons.net correct yeah definitely yeah it's my it's my website uh but now like one month ago uh, i opened the instagram page of it and i'm putting lots of uh, little etudes uh for the uh instagram page which is like fretless guitar lessons mm-hmm. slash instagram you know it's very easy so uh i try to put more videos every day uh, every week maybe uh, but there are lots of examples and exercises there. People who want to uh, experience about mm-hmm. fretless, they can join there. Man, Jake, <laughs> I'm going to, in closing, I'm just going to say thank you so much for being here. And I so hope to get back to Istanbul maybe next fall if things are open by then. And I hope we can finally play. You know, we've kind of missed each other a couple times. Yes, man. Yes. Thanks again for joining us for another exciting edition of High Action. We'd like to take this moment to thank our sponsors for making this podcast possible, especially those who follow us on Patreon. If you'd like to join us, visit us at www.patreon.com slash Group. There you can subscribe monthly to our Patreon page and get exclusive content from today's podcast.
Lastly, don't forget to subscribe on Apple Podcasts for all the future episodes. Once again, I'm John Story with New West Guitar Group, and thanks for joining us on High Action.